Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast, where we're constantly digging up for knowledge and insights into the modern state of leadership, all in an effort to help you lead a better life, both at your work and at home. My guest today is an organizational theorist, an educator, and an author who has served as a professor at Henley Business School, the Halt International Business School, and he is the founder of Pentacle, which is the virtual business school, and currently serves as its executive director. He has been described variously as, quote, a leading revolutionary, and he has done majority of this through his concept of new world management. We really dig into his theory here and what he's been researching uh, for the last few decades. And I got to tell you, it was it has been one of the most insightful conversations I've ever had, Um, because in one part, it was the concepts that I've always kind of thought of and, and have read here and there. But the way he presented it and the perspective that he gave me backed up by human biology, by science, um, it really gave me um, a new way of looking at everything. And he, his teaching philosophy is amazing. And um, what's funny is I had a portion of, of the uh, conversation where I wanted to really dig into his teaching philosophy. But what I didn't notice is I was being used as a subject and, and his teaching philosophy was on display throughout this conversation. So you're going to you're going to hear moments where I sound confused, I sound lost and essentially sound like a terrible podcast host. So um, during those moments, you'll notice that he's really making me think. And um, I really hope he does the same for you guys. And if he makes you just stop and helps you think um, about all the different things in terms of his theory, which I don't want to spoil it, and um, all the different concepts that go with it in terms of new world management, how things were in the old world. And this is all around leadership and about creating better work environments. Anyways, I don't want to ruin it. This was an amazing conversation. He is so enthusiastic. He has amazing energy and vibe, and I hope you all feel that as well. And without further ado, uh, everyone, please give it up for Dr. Eddie Obain. And I've actually came up to your work a, a few years back um, through your uh, famous TED Talk now. I know a lot of people have definitely uh, viewed it. But um, I got to tell you, the first thing that really stood out to me uh, was your enthusiasm. And I've always thought enthusiasm is something that has been extremely undervalued. And I was lucky enough to, to, to gauge the value of it early on. Uh, as John Wooden, a famous basketball coach here over in the States, uh, had it as one of his building blocks of his pyramid of success. Mm-hmm. And I really saw how important it is and in so many different functions. But I'm curious, you know, how, where is the source of your passion and your energy? I want to love the origin of it and, and just where it comes from. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I, I'm very lucky. One of the secrets is to try to do things you really love doing. Um, and to avoid things you don't, and if you don't avoid, if you don't really enjoy doing them, treat them as if you are um, learning a sort of master craft, and do them to the best of your ability. And sometimes you discover actually you do like them. It's just you didn't like them because you weren't very good at them, um, so, <laughs> which is a mistake people make. They find something they don't like and they give up immediately. No, say I want to be a master craftsman. Work at it. Um, no, uh, so I, 
hard to know. I I I, I guess I'm lucky because I I tend to be working on things which I want to work on. Um, uh, I I always wanted to be a, an entrepreneur. I always wanted to be pushing at the edges of what people did. And over the years, I managed to get myself into that position. And so it makes it easy to be enthusiastic when you're doing what you want to do. Um, but also there are, there are some things around sort of the, the frame of mind you approach things with. Uh, and again, like I was just joking about, you know, if there's something you hate doing, pretend pretend as if you're becoming a master craftsman at it, you know. So um, uh, imagine they're giving you a job. Your job is to, I don't know, chop 4,000 stalks to exactly the same length. You go, oh, boring. Mm-hmm. So you could take that attitude or you can go, I'm going to get them exact and just improve your skill. And all of a sudden you discover you love it because you're brilliant at it. It's, human beings are weird. <laughs> You're spot on with the perception of it. I, and, and I learned it when I was playing uh, basketball and we would have this drill that was just gut-wrenching and, and we none of us wanted to do it and it was terrible. And what we started doing uh, based on what we knew in these days and we started just pretending that we loved yeah. it and we I were think. loud and we're doing it. It's <laughs> contagious. And then uh, I, when I watched uh, uh, your TED Talk, I remember I was, I was sitting with my girlfriend and my friend and it got me hyped up. It, 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 it just, it's very contagious. So I, I, yeah. I love it. And um, I think, I hope in our society and business, more people understand the value of enthusiasm. And, oh, you're uh, right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, especially if you're doing the sort of thing which I do, which is usually pushing at the edges of what everyone else does. So anyone associated with you, with you is a little bit nervous because it's not conventional. So they're not sure if they should do it or they shouldn't do it. And if, if you have enthusiasm, the joy, story I often say is, imagine you had a friend with a really strange hobby, like, I don't know, fishing or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, most boring thing on the planet. But they're so enthusiastic about it and they love it. And they go, oh, you must come fishing out. And what you find is that the fish leap out with their mouths open and they're so excited about <laughs> it. And however, however much you know it's going to be boring, eventually you go fishing with them. Isn't that right? It does. You're you, spot yeah, on. And when you go fishing with them, what do you discover? Yes, it really was as boring as you imagined. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that perception. Right <laughs> yeah, you still go because the perception of it gets you for that little moment and yeah. it hooks you in. And I got to yeah. say, out of the <laughs> thousands of TED speakers that, that I've watched, you're still the only one that you don't go in with some slow story and a build up. I mean, it is one second in, you are into it. And I, I love it. I really do. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Before before I dive into your theory and and, and some of the the great principles and concepts you're working on, um, I'm curious. I, I want to know your story, and oh, wow. I'm gonna leave that question just like that. You can decide <laughs> how far back you want to go or how long you want to go. But uh, one of the things that uh, I've, I I want to evolve in my podcast is um, I, I have these amazing conversations with great entrepreneurs and professors and whatnot. But at the end of it. I walk away and saying, wow, I know their concepts. I know what they're doing, their work, but crap, Artie, you don't even know them. <laughs> you know, I have no connection. I'm like, I'm changing that. So I, I want to know your story. And uh, yeah, the floor is yours. Oh, wow. That's that's always a tough one. People always say, so tell us about your journey. How did you get here? And I sort of go, have you got lots of time or, or do I have to make it really short? Um, so when I describe myself, sometimes people say, so tell us about yourself. I say, well, I'm married to uh, Susan been married for a long time. I met her uh, at an all boys public school. Uh, no, they had 10 girls in the sixth form. 
Um, and I have a cat. And that's how I describe myself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they all go, oh, okay. So uh, how did I get here? Um, I was born in a place called Ghana in West Africa. Um, I'd come from... <laughs> I come from a family which goes back to 1100, where my family walked from Sudan, which is also in Africa, across to Ghana. Uh, and then they got land, they settled by a river, which flooded overnight and washed away all their goods. So they had to settle, they couldn't travel any further. And so that's basically my roots, which is, you know, you're busy doing something, then the rain comes along, and now you've got to really think, rethink your shit, etc. So um, so that's that's sort of my, my background. I um, what other things would be interesting to people? Um, I've always worked completely too hard because I, I never knew I wasn't supposed to. Uh, <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but like when I got my job, at one stage I worked in a business school, Ashridge, and I got the job there as a, a sort of uh, researcher slash junior, junior person. And they kept asking me to do things and I just do it. And then they'd give me more. Then they'd give me another job title. They didn't necessarily give me more money, but then they gave me another one and I do it. And I went from being quite junior onto the main exec board in um, just over three years. And it was wow. just because, yeah, when I just kept doing what they asked me to do, they said, we need some more customers. And I go, right. And I phone up all the people and get a customer. Okay, we need to revamp that program. And then I just get on and do it. I didn't know I was supposed to say, oh, I need more money. I'm not sure. These guys are working me too hard. Um, and it's partly because my mum. My mum was a big influence on me. My mother um, was the first woman with a, a doctorate in Ghana. Um, so she was a real pioneer. Um, and she, uh, she was always doing things differently. And she worked really hard. And I didn't know you weren't supposed to because I was just copying her. And so her motto used to be, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So uh, she'd always, I'd always hear her saying that to herself. So, so that was a big influence on me um, in terms of just sort of moving forward. But I've done lots of things in terms of my career. I started off, I studied to be an engineer. Uh, I started to be a chemical engineer. Then I learned how to do biochemical engineering on top of it. And then I worked for a company called Shell, which was an oil company. But we were looking at um, uh, use, use of um, bugs, microorganisms for cleaning up oil. Left that, I joined a consultancy company. Um, I learned how to be a consultant. Then I went on to work at the business school, Ashridge. Um, while I was doing my doctorate, I did a, a night school uh, course in economics. So I, I've always been sort of really keen on learning stuff. And it's sort of been useful. And that transition from engineer, and I got to say, you're, you're by far the most enthusiastic engineer I think I've <laughs> ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I think all my engineering <laughs> friends are the biggest introverts. So uh, I could tell that. What, did you just get bored of engineering? What happened to that transition? Why didn't you just work for Shell for the next 40 years? Um, so big story. I, I am a, I am an introvert, which is a funny thing. But I also speak and I talk Get out of here. Are you, you're, you're pulling my leg. No, no, no. <laughs> if, if I'm with lots of people afterwards, I always need to go for a walk uh -huh. or recover. Um, but, but what happened with, with Shell was I took the job in Shell. I just come off my doctorate. I've been studying economics. And I said, I want to combine engineering and business because I looked at all these companies and that's where they got it wrong. They had lots of engineers. They didn't understand the business. So they made mistakes. So they had lots of uh, business people. They didn't understand the mechanics. So I said, that's what I wanted to do. I joined Shell. They said, yeah, you can do that. But they were just having me on because they planned your career in those days. Mm -hmm. So I was working with Shell and I was trying to make a difference and stuff like that. And it was going really well. You can't believe this, but 
when I was at Shell, which is like decades ago, they used to plan your career and they'd give you something called a current estimated potential. In other words, what job they thought you'd be doing at the age of 45. Because the world was so stable, they could tell you what job. And when you got into Shell and you got a job, you didn't get just get a job name, you got a job number. Mine was FMB1 slash three. My boss was FMB1. Are you with me? So we were all numbered because yeah. the organization was so static. Um, and so I started and it became quite clear that they were had no I, no intention of doing what I wanted them to do. Uh, so I, that's why I left Shell. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. I, mean, I want to transform this business. I went, no, we're quite happy how it is. I went, okay then. <laughs> and and you would say that was the that was the inspiration or the starting point of you beginning to think about your new world management, the, the speed yeah. of everything moving um, yeah. uh, uh, at such a crazy pace? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So three, three different stories. One was um, when I was at Shell, the strategy they were following uh, was really a response, a slow and late response to something called the oil crisis, which had happened about 10 years before. It had taken the organization 10 years to see a big change in how their, their industry worked. Uh, the second thing was um, when I was studying economics, it was at the same time as we were discovering things like monetarism and um, uh, and also beginning to understand how markets worked a bit better. And it was quite clear that the markets weren't working exactly the way people thought they were. And you could see the start of this new world coming through. Uh, and then the third one was um, while I was when I once I joined um, Ashridge, it became clear that we were teaching case studies. And some of the case studies, I hadn't been born when the case studies were written, you know, wow. and 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 so they would refer to things like telexes. And we were really modern. We were using fax machines. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's quite clear that something was broken. Yeah, no. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm familiar now with with your theory on it and, and the fact that we're basically not learning at the speed of everything's moving. But for a lot of our listeners, uh, could you quickly summarize uh, exactly what you mean in, in terms of what is happening right now uh, sure. in terms Absolutely. of the speed of technology and, and, and our learning growth and all that? Absolutely. I mean, it's quite funny because um, in one year and a half, people have sort of forgotten what happened before COVID. Uh, I call those early days, I call them BC. So what I, what I like to do is I like to take you back to before COVID, BC, mm -hmm. um, and just look at what was happening there. And what was happening around us, if you ask most people pre-COVID, pre, uh, was if they were in jobs, you found that they were working pretty hard, okay? Um, and they were often working so hard that they didn't have to, time to plan to do anything or to actually know what they were supposed to be doing or to be creative. And so the net result of that, and most people in most jobs, was that they um, would take on new stuff because they didn't know what they were already committed to. And then they would try and do it, but that, of course, would then push up their workload and their, their, their hassle and the stress and so on. So then they'd find out they were a bit late for what someone else wanted, the boss, the colleague, someone else in a different department. And the other people not wanting to miss their goals would interrupt them. So they'd spend their days basically restarting half-complete work, jumping from one meeting to another, um, one call to another, all scheduled for one hour. Don't ask me why. Um, and net result of that was they would then become even more disorganized. So people could then text their messages in the middle of the night and know that they were so disorganized they wouldn't be able to deal with that. And that was the that was life for a lot of people. 
and they couldn't understand why, because they're smart people, but everything around them was sort of in a little bit of a muddle. And at one stage, I did a test where I got a group of execs, and I said, keep on a spreadsheet your diary for a week, and we'll wait four months and see of the effort you put in, how much of it hit the bottom line or actually made the business uh, better as for you mm. as a person or your colleagues. So you understand, really simple experiment. Just record right. it, wait, watch. Do you know what percentage the average value in a week came out at for these people who are working nonstop? Guess. Oh, God. I, a percentage of them that... Yeah, so they have a whole week. They're rushing around like week. headless chicken. Mm -hmm. Okay. What <laughs> yeah. percentage was useful when they look back on it four months later? Um, 20%? Hey, well done. 20 is too high. It's just under 15%. Really? Yes. 15% is less than a day. I always joke wow. that, you know, I wanted to quit my job to go and work for them. They were all on full-time salaries. But 15% wow. work. They go in on Monday, they do nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, nothing. Thursday, nothing. But they're poor. They get some. Friday comes around, they get some beer, some pizzas. 10.23 on Friday, go, right, let's do some real work. That's 15%. Wow. Okay. So what are they doing the rest of the time? Well, it just turns That's out that they're doing think of many games they play. One's called email tag. <laughs> I email you, you reply to me, blind CC him, bumps into her. Then the emails go round and round and round. And then <laughs> after about 20 emails, somebody says, we must get together to discuss this. But our diaries are full. So we struggle to get the time. So another couple of weeks passes. Then we said, let's have a conference call instead. My definition of a conference call is one person talking and 12 people just doing their emails. So <laughs> everyone's guilty. Nobody's listening. <laughs> There's no commitment. The, the, the work, the agreement is made. No one's understood it. So the actions don't get done. And then you repeat it three months later. So this is how they burnt their time. And they had all sorts of other games like budget game where tell me what will happen next year. I can't see what will happen next year. Tell me, tell me. Okay, Forecast. I'll write something down. Yeah. So they write it down. It's rubbish. And then you say, I'm going to hold you to that. So they know that's going to happen. So they write down a very small figure. So they can achieve it. And then you write down a big figure and all this stuff. Bizarre. They, they had all these rituals. But what was happening was that really over the past 30, 40 years, a number of things were just gradually shifting. More people on the planet increasing exponentially. More people means more connections. And then you add in digital. Once you add in connecting people electronically, you get network effects. You know, so two people, one conversation, three people, mm, 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 three conversations, four, are you with me, et cetera? Sorry, two conversations, yeah. four people, three conversations, et cetera. So it goes up faster than you expect. Same time as that's happening, because the world is globalizing, the markets start getting more volatile because different things affect them. So the companies then have to start to try and be more flexible, not like Shell, but also starting to change. So they start actively looking for change. But their structures are not built for that. So every time they try and change, they often just create um, resonance in the organization, a lot of activity and noise, but nothing comes out. I had a boss called Philip Sadler who always used to say a lot of heat, but no light. Okay. Right. So, so all these things are happening. So if you were to compare, say, BC 2015 with mm -hmm. 10, 15 years earlier or just before the dot-com dot-boom, you would quite happily agree the pace of change has gone up, the complexity has gone up, the interaction has gone up, the amount of data available has gone up, people's um, uh, uh, level of emotional contact has gone up. But it goes up exponentially. Problem is, yeah. how fast do we learn and change to match? You see, if you're in a really complex situation, you might not care because you understand it.
In other words, if you can learn fast and the world is changing, it doesn't look complex or scary to you. Mm -hmm. But if you take that 30, 20 year period and you ask people, individuals, organizations, have they also increased their learning exponentially to match? The answer is no. It's all pretty flat. You know, the schools are teaching roughly the same thing. You can't do what your anything out there your boss hasn't sanctioned. Your learning rate, your learning scope is quite flat. So the pace of the world has overtaken our ability to learn and change. And it didn't, and Ted Todd explains this, you know, no one rang a bell. So all of a sudden you're doing things like your budgeting and your emailing, and they have no connection to reality. They have no output, which is useful, 15%, but you continue doing them because nobody's warned you that most of your actions are pointless. Okay. You know what's interesting to me is is as a society as a whole, I think throughout this time, you know, BC and and, and dot com boom, they understand the inevitability of change and, and the yes. value of adaptation when they're speaking about it. But it seems like, <laughs> but it seems like when it comes down to the execution, because you know, I, I've heard my own. My, I left a job uh, during COVID, and my company, you know, they said it right when COVID happened. You know, we're, we're going to adapt. You know, we're, we know how important it is to adapt. And eight months later, they haven't adapted. Exactly. So, so it seems like when it comes down to the execution, and this is on an individual level as well, yeah. I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. Yet the yeah. execution is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. It seems like a major gap forms and majority do whatever it takes actually to avoid uh, uh, even to avoid that change, even though they're quoted and acknowledging its importance. Sure. I guess my question is, and, and everything you're mentioning right now, and especially those uh, uh, bosses and, and those organizations that are wasting their their entire weeks getting paid uh, six figure incomes <laughs> and they're genuinely not doing work. I guess my question is, how do we well, minimize do work, that gap? Not useful. <laughs> not <laughs> useful. Yeah. So well, I guess so, I'm I'm really curious to hear so, your solution so, to it. Absolutely. So let me let me just explain what happens um, when you can learn fast and the world changes. Okay. Imagine I made you. I don't. Know, you, you are an entrepreneur. You you can learn fast and the world changes. You see a business opportunity in podcasts. It's going to make you rich. Okay. So you start doing podcasts. Okay. So all of a sudden you know all the skills because you can learn fast and the world is changing for podcasting. You hire people to work for you. You know what skills you need. You can tell them what to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're the boss. You you drive that process. You then build in processes to support that. Maybe rewards some KPIs, some metrics. You start to build an organization because you know what's happening. The boss knows more than the next person knows more than the next person. The organization starts to be really successful, growing through more of the same. You're doing more of what you currently do. It's, everyone's happy. People come in at the bottom of the organization. You tell them one day they too will be, be at the top. They're excited and happy. It never happens. What happens next year because of the growth, younger people come below them and they get a job uh, uh, rise because they go from being junior to more senior because someone is below them. Not because they've actually moved, because the boss is still above. He goes up as well. You know, so the whole thing is like when you're on a train and the train next to you moves and you think you're moving, that, that one. Okay, but it works. And it's worked for like 200 years. You build these huge hierarchies. There's a high level of competence at the top. Everyone understands what's going on and so on and so forth. Now, that type of structure is really great for human beings 
because human beings actually, whatever they say, they don't like change. <laughs> yeah. and I, I'll come back and explain why this is crucial, but let me finish with the organization piece. When you go to recruit people, you know what they want. You will organize them by separating them out by their skills. Why? So they can get really good at what they do. So even in the organization, you have specialisms who can't speak to each other. It doesn't matter because you're doing the same thing every day and good stuff comes out. If you're an individual, you build your own skills, but in a narrow, narrow, narrow track rather than a broad stack, you know I me? Mean? Because that works mm -hmm. in the organization um, and, and so on. If, it, if you then extend it to the country, you'll find that the whole country starts to organize that way. Parliaments are organized. Governments are organized with department of this, department of that. They're not cross-functional. It all makes perfect sense as long as you can learn fast and the world is changing. I feel and like then, you just dissected my entire career. And, <laughs> then, and then somebody broke it. Suddenly the world is changing faster than we could learn. Now, if you're a human being, you have a problem. Uh, not you particularly, Ardik, but all of us. You know how, Ardik, you feel like you're one person, and yet you said sometimes even as an ind individual, you can decide, I want to go on a diet, but you can't go on the diet. And You know that one? In other words, something right, else is right. in control of you. You can't always make yourself do what you want to do. Doesn't that make you suspicious? There's something weird going on, isn't there? Right, every time, every yeah. time. Why can't you do what you want, you want to do? You it's... want to do it, yeah. Okay, so the thing you have to realize is you're not one person. It feels like that, but you're not, okay? So before I go into this, I'll just explain. You know, olden days, People used to think the sun went round the earth. Then right. they figured out that the earth went round the sun. Am I right? And apparently there was a lovely conversation between, uh, I can't remember who the famous people were, my brain's just gone there. But they said to them, well, it's obvious that um, the earth goes round the sun. And the, the comment was, how can it be obvious? How would they have looked if it was the other way around? Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. It would look exactly the same. So it feels like you're one person, and I'm going to explain why, because you're probably not one person. You know your brain's got two bit, two little halves? Yeah. Right, yeah, I'm, I've heard of it. I, okay, I, 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 yeah. yeah, it's got two halves, you're left and right, okay? And when people okay. have had accidents and the nerves between the two halves get cut or, or damaged, sometimes they can draw a picture with the left hand and the right hand doesn't know what it's doing. You know, they can draw different pictures. If the I've seen that, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen videos of that and stuff. Yeah, and you know how your heart beats and it just keeps beating? You know, people imagine yeah. your brain is telling your heart, beat, beat, beat. No, 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 your heart <laughs> has its own little, its own little brain. Mm -hmm. Your stomach, you know, if you have extra burgers, your stomach decides, yeah, today's burgers, yesterday was spinach, and it figures out what it needs to do. It doesn't go to it. Brain, please, please, he's eating some extra burgers and fries. What should I be doing? And the brain goes to a database. And what, no, it has its own little brain. <laughs> You know what I mean? mm -hmm. And they're all connected through a vagus nerve. In other words, you are multiple processing units. But you feel mm -hmm. like one thing. Why? Okay. We're here today because our ancestors made it. Okay. <laughs> the ancestors who made it, what do you think was most important to them? Understanding there were a multiple processing unit, uh, being able to see reality as it was, or just surviving and passing their genes on? Mm -hmm. Which one would you choose? <laughs> I would just say survival, of course, right? Survival, I mean, okay. Yeah. So most of our history 
we were in really dangerous places. You'd be out in the in the desert and or in the in the forest or somewhere, and something wanted to eat you. Some insect wanted to bite you. Some tiger wanted to chomp your leg. Right. Okay. When the tiger's coming for you, imagine if your different processing units. One of them said, "Well, I think we should run." The other said, oh, "I'm quite happy. I'm busy digesting. What do you think?" Okay. And they've had an argument. It doesn't work that way. What happens is you have this whole thing, which is the you you, which which basically goes, oh my goodness, there's a tiger coming. And then it's programmed to do this thing, which says, I must run away because I'm worth it. Or in advertising terms, because I'm worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So when something comes along, which is unexpected, because we're human beings, we're likely to get eaten. So change looks just like a tiger. Mm. Okay. Remember, the fastest person on the planet, I think it was Usain Bolt, was running at 26 miles an hour. The average Mm -hmm. rabbit with no press-ups can do 32 miles an hour. You know, Usain Bolt can't catch a rabbit. So we were quite vulnerable. Think about it, okay? And so what happens is you go, I've got to escape because I'm worth it. And so you have all these circuits which allow you to escape. First of all, that change is perceived as a threat. That threat does three things. First, it switches off your modern logical brain through something called the amygdala, which actually reduces your blood flow, et cetera, et cetera, to the front bit, okay? Um, so the blood flow, your brain logical switches off. So you're not going, I don't think that tiger is big enough to bite my leg. Maybe it is. What's our strategy for tigers? None of that happens. Your brain's off. It fills you full of emotion, fear. Then it pumps drugs into your legs so you can run. Mm-hmm. And that software is still in our are next today managing all the different parts of your processing. You with me? So when they say verbally, change has come to COVID, we must adapt and change. (laughs) (laughs) They're saying to everyone in the organization, there's a saber-toothed tiger coming, run! (laughs) So, of course, their brains all switch off. They're in emotional mode. When there's a threat, and you're in an emotional mode, do you become cunning or creative? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully following you. I'm just thinking about my personal experience and, and a lot of my peers in that Your situation. Says, you're going to be fired. Do you go, okay, if you don't give me this document, you're going to be fired. Do you just find the document to show them? Or do you mm-hmm. go, I must produce the world's best document. I wonder what, <laughs> which one do you do? The first one. I mean, the, the first one, you course. become cunning. Yeah. So what happens in all these organizations when the bosses announce that COVID means we must change, everybody rushes around to make sure they look like they're changing something, but their brains are off. They're not necessarily learning it or engaging with it. It's all a facade then. They're in survival mode. Okay. But there's another dimension to human beings. Ardik, have you noticed how brilliant all your own ideas are? (laughs) <laughs> yes isn't that course. weird isn't that weird and you notice how rubbish everybody else's ideas are but if you ask <laughs> them you'll discover they think their ideas are good as well how can that right. be so it's not objective is it the fact you think your ideas are, are good is no. not objective okay no, what no, happens no. is again hunter gathering rubbish business you're always hungry your brain burns up energy times 10 times faster than muscle so the brain is dangerous because if it just thinks random thoughts, you could starve. So you have a little mini policeman, I've described it as that, where when you come up with an idea, you fall in love with your idea, 
the policemen say, falling in love with your idea and turn into more food. So that's why you think all your own ideas are brilliant, because you fall in love with them and you try to make them happen. So if you had come along before COVID and said, hey, let's make these changes, you'd be so enthusiastic about it. But when somebody does it to you, you then resist, you're cunning, and you're really just waiting for a chance to go back to doing what you were doing before. Yeah, and even help? if it's you like a yeah, exactly. No, it helps a lot. You're making me think so much, and I and I have to remind myself that I'm recording a podcast because I want to take these long <laughs> breaks and just think more in depth. And you know, you're nailing <laughs> it's only, it because it's probably a good idea because then your listeners can have the break as well. <laughs> yeah, well, they're lucky; they don't have to talk. They can just sit there and think while they're driving or or whatnot. But I'm, you know, I'm thinking because it's I've experienced it now with my last job, but the jobs prior and and you know now evaluating myself and how you know the conflicts that i got in because i didn't like their idea and i liked mine and yeah you know it's 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 embedded i, I get it now it's, it's embedded in our biology and yeah it's, it's, it's really deep. normal that our, normal. we react like this but well, let me normal. ask you something yeah how, so how how do we counteract this then how, how do we switch that you know in a way it's, i guess it's i don't know if it's possible but how do we turn that that natural sensor off to a point where we can think a, a little bit logical where we can sit down and say not just talk about change but say hey guys we're actually going to change and and try to keep up with the speed of how our world is changing and make sure our learning is is steady pace with it or if it's even possible that's a great 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 question so so let me just give a little bit more background, then we'll see how you, how you do that. So what yeah. I've described is what I call um, the third law of change. People create change if they come up with themselves, they fall in love with it, they want to make it happen. People constrain change. If it's done to them, they're cunning, they're resistant, they go back to doing what they were doing, they undermine it. So it's like two sides of a coin, okay? Mm. But you think about it, the way they react depends on how the change comes about. So have you noticed yeah. I ask you questions and then you have to pause? Because mm -hmm. when I ask you a question, it's the second type. It's sorry, the first. It's making you come up with the idea yourself. You know the mm -hmm. way I described it. When you come up with the idea, now you're going to fall in love with your own answer. Mm -hmm. You with me? Whereas yeah. if I say to you, this is what's supposed to happen, you go, no, it's not. That's not my experience. You with me? So, <laughs> right. so, so where the change comes from is quite, quite crucial, whether you create it or you constrain it. So what happens is if you're on your own and you've created an idea, you've had an idea, you've fallen in love with it, often we'll mm -hmm. describe our ideas as our babies. You know, so imagine you've got your idea, it's a baby, it's on your arm. You walk into your meeting room with your rest of your team. Hey, guys, look, this great idea is going to solve all our problems and do X, Y, Z for us. And you present your beautiful baby. To you, it's a beautiful baby. Guess what it is to them? Ugly. Ugly, saber-toothed <laughs> tiger coming to eat them. They look at your, your baby. They see terror, fear, adrenaline courses through their bodies. But we're sophisticated now. So they don't leap up and run out of the meeting room in terror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they sit there. Okay, and you say, look, isn't it just beautiful? Look at its face. And they go, oh, ugly baby. And you can't understand that. You say, surely you can see its lovely chubby feet. They go, ugliest baby ever. <laughs> and if you're the boss, you say, it's a beautiful baby. And then, of course, they'll go, yeah, it's got some merits, boss. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Then they leave the meeting room. And in the corridor outside, they just point back and say, oh, it's ugly baby. Okay. Normally, one person will stay, 
behind and they'll say to you, you know what you presented? It's just like, listen to the words, something I've been thinking about myself. I'd like to work on it. And you're mm. delighted because you think they like your baby. But what do they actually say? Their own idea. It's their own baby. It, it resembles a similar baby that they have. <laughs> They're really interested yeah. in your baby reason. food for their baby. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so if you understand that sort of dynamic, then when you try to accelerate change as a leader, your role is to allow people to invent the change themselves so that they fall in love with it and accelerate it. In the old world, yesterday and tomorrow look very similar. The pace of change is quite slow. Mm -hmm. So the leader was in a position where they knew what was going on and they could incrementally add to it. The leadership was from the top. You would exemplarize it through your own experience. You would be able to guide people and so on. But when we hit the new world, or what I call the world after midnight, the pace is fast. You probably haven't done it. No one else has done it. So how do you get them collectively to come up with a shared baby. That's your challenge if you're going to make change happen. Making announcements about this organization is going to respond very well, completely pointless. In fact, counterproductive. Yeah, and you see it so much. I, I recently uh, read up on a case study of a, of a business that uh, gives bonuses uh, for ideas uh, that fail uh, for employees. And it was very interesting reading up on it and, and the psychology behind it. But now that you're explaining this to me, it it seems like that's a, that's at least a tactic to try to have people, you know, be free in, in, in thinking of new ideas and I guess uh, of their yeah. babies. And I guess the best thing yeah. you could hope is that by doing that trial and error, that you get that cohesiveness of, uh, a few or your team having a similar baby uh, in terms of the idea. But I mean, that's a hell of a challenge, right? It's, I mean, it, 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 yeah. as a leader to have that to happen, because at the end of the day, you're going to, and I'm thinking of myself as a leader, when I was leading a sales team, you know, I, I try to keep it open and have them, uh, you know, come up with their own ideas if they have it. And mm -hmm. I was not the person to, you know, push down something. But at the end of the day, even the strategies put in place was my idea yeah, and yeah, my yeah. flow of it. Yeah, exactly. So, it's very difficult. So one of the things I've done, once I discovered this new world um, uh, idea, and I realized that people were just responding as if it was still the old world, I spent seven years trying to research using causality analysis. I call it bubble diagram. Um, little tools, methods, performance enhancement tools, possibility exploration tools, or people engagement tools, which would allow a leader to have a mechanism for doing what they needed to do really, really, really effectively. So, you know, I told you the story about the, you know, you're going to, you were going to the room with your idea, your baby on your mm -hmm. hand, yeah? And I said, you present it. And I paused, what happens? And you say, oh, they look at it, they say, it's ugly. Okay, great. And I said, well, why does that happen? You know, et cetera. And then you told right. me more. And I said, and then I expanded. And I said, well, what's happening is they think it's the same as a great thing. Okay, mm -hmm. I was using one of my tools. Um, you see, we know if you surprise somebody, they'll respond. We know that if you engage them and they come up with the idea themselves, they'll respond differently. So as a leader, I built for leaders something called Issue Data Question Build, or IDQB is what I call it. You want people to come up with an idea on a topic. Okay, you've probably got your own ideas. Believe me, it's an ugly baby, okay? <laughs> so 
What you do is you approach them, but you don't approach them with the, with the, the uh, solution. You approach them with the issue. You say, hey, have you noticed how every time you do a podcast, you get to the end of the podcast, great podcast, but you haven't actually learned anything about the person you're interviewing. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say to them, just repeat, you, in fact, you said that to me, yourself. And they go, yeah. And then you say, and you said it happens very often. Yeah. And then you say, well, why does that happen very often? What goes on? And then you shut up as a leader. Mm. And now they try and answer. So I've got an issue. This is the situation. Here's some data you told me yourself. Question. And then you build a solution together. So they keep talking. They keep talking and talking. They always come up with something better than the leader came up with. <laughs> and you mustn't be precious and say, mine was better. Okay. And that's how you engage large numbers of people in high levels of change and innovation where they own the actual outcome and are passionate to make it happen. The key words right there of the leader shutting up is, is <laughs> I think, the biggest challenge. And I'm, I'm actually right now in the middle of, of recording a, a, a weekly dose episode I do every week on uh, the biggest misconception in leadership. And it really is, it centers around uh, leaders being wrong. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's so hard to get a leader to take personal responsibility for a mistake, let alone to before he even gets there, say, I don't even know the solution yeah. so, for them to literally say those words. Yeah. So let's go back to the old and new world, because there's a lot of confusion about leadership. So, you know, I described the old world as you can learn fast and the world was changing. And then I made you into a, uh, an entrepreneur and I let you build your business. Okay. Yes. And I put you at the top and you were the most senior person and you were also the leader. Okay. Because mm -hmm. you were leading the organization, i.e. telling the organization how the future might look. Okay. So how do you become a manager in such an organization? You work hard. The business grows. One day, another manager comes to you, pats you on the hand, head and says, arise thou art now manager and take a corner office. And you become a manager. Basically, that's what used to happen. Okay. So how do you become a leader? I mean, the that, old world, yeah, you just it. hang around and it was the same. But now, how do you become a leader? You become it a leader. Seem... Yeah, go finish. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 go. <laughs> no, I, 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 I mean, I don't think anything has changed. And it's, it seems like it's still very title-based. And, <laughs> and uh, you kind of wait, you wait for that calling. And bravo, if bravo. you get the title, you, you think you're the leader. And you, you think that's the end of it. The whole thing about leadership is you are getting people to behave or to feel or to do things which they otherwise might not do, but not necessarily with the power. The managers have the power. When you become a manager, they give you power. You can sign for different things. You sit in a different office, etc. Leadership is about making people do things even if you don't have the power. You know, when you're at home and you're trying to get your kids to do things or you're trying to get your other half to do stuff, there will be leadership. It's not because you're the boss in the, in the organization called home and you're on twice the salary. You, are you with me? When you're with your friends yeah. and you go out for an evening and you're trying to persuade them and get them to have a good evening, it's not because they've, they've got to match your, the KPIs you set for them. Management and leadership, there's no overlap. Management is about exercising the systems and the power. Leadership is what the followers, followers decide to follow you, you become a leader. You have no followers, you're not a leader. What happened was a lot of consultancies who were going bust spotted leadership. 
And then they went around selling to other or, or all sorts of organizations. You need leadership in your organization, okay? And these companies had managers, and then they had the post top person. But as a consultant, if it's just the top person, I can only sell one course. But if everyone needs leadership, or all the different levels need leadership, you can even persuade them to change the top job title from supervisor to shift leader. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still oh, a manager, and they yeah. probably are not really in a position where they have any followers. You know, the followers follow you mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. We'll come to that in a second. But the first thing to realize is leadership is not a job title. Not at all. Not at all. And it's it's so important. My, my majority of my uh, audience are millennials and um, talk about all the time that your leadership journey does not begin when you get that title. No. If you start your leadership journey, when you get that title, and even if you're genuinely interested in being a leader, not just a manager, you're playing catch up. You're already behind. Yeah. You know, you're flipping through books and, and TED Talks and you're trying to get all the, the X's and O's and, and everything down. But there's an art aspect to it. There's a Correct. trial and error part to it. And, and yeah, you're, you're, you're spot and, on. And the other thing which confuses people at that point also is they have a managerial role where they have power. They have to fire people, for example. And then on the other hand, they've got to infuse them and, make, and they get really confused because they've made the words synonymous. We do this a lot in our culture. We take two words which are completely different and then we fudgle around with them and pretend they're the same. And then we lose the meaning, we lose the understanding. Leadership and management, no, not connected at all, no connection. You know, the leadership in the new world is whoever's at the front because the top is not necessarily where all the capability is and you are at the front because you've chosen to be at the front or because you can guide other people so you could be at the front and be the most junior person in the whole organization I and mean, it happens at home where the kids come and they show you how to do minecraft and you do minecraft the way they tell you to because you're following them mm -hmm. do you see what i mean it's got right. nothing to do with position knowledge nothing not connected no. leadership and management and the moment you think they are you're in trouble but leadership is something you need if you're going to have a very fulfilled life because you will meet many people and you'll meet them all over the place from the supermarket to the library, to the shop, to the office. And whenever you have a group of people together, chances are they're trying to move forward and have something better. And you might be the person who needs to be at the front, helping them to get there. So mm -hmm. leadership is not a work thing. It's not a job related thing. Okay. Yeah. No. And so, so I've, I've lost your original question because I wanted to explain about leadership. Oh yes. Yeah, so oh, I've, I've lost it as well. I've and lost it as well. How, <laughs> how to fix the lead, how to fix the the change yeah. piece? Yeah. So, so once we understood that leadership is not the same as management, the question is, how do you get people to follow you? Yeah. And that's another really funny thing. Have you ever followed anyone? I mean, when you were younger, like when you were at school, mm -hmm. did you follow anyone? Did you have like a favorite pop group or a band or uh, any kids at school or I was a I mean, big sports fan. Sports, but yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, uh, sports or you know, I had a favorite uh, professor when I was in college and really followed a lot of his work. Uh, ironically, he was my management professor. Okay. Um, but so, yeah, I would say I would stick with that. So why why did you follow these people? What, what the if I were to boil down, why did you follow mm -hmm. the, a particular sports person? Is it because you wanted to be like them? Yeah, they inspired me. There's qualities you? of them. Yeah, well, inspiration, to, I would say. You wanted to be like them? So you wanted to learn from them how to play basketball better? Yeah, I would say that's part of it. Mm -hmm. 
Maybe the maybe the professor gave you a vision of what the future could look like. Yeah, that sounds accurate. Maybe you went because your mates went and you like being included with them. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. And sometimes you didn't know what to do, but somebody would give you a steer and give you some direction. Did that happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we know why followers follow people. They're looking for yeah. stuff. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for inclusion, motivation of some sort. They want some sort of vision. They want some sort of direction. They want to be part of a bigger group. We know that. So that's what they're looking for. The bad news is, as a leader, you can't do inspiration to people. You can't walk up to somebody and say, I'm doing you inspiration. And for you, I'm doing you motivation. It doesn't work that way. Okay. As a leader, you transmit other stuff. And you started this conversation talking about enthusiasm. One of the things which leaders transmit is emotion. Emotion is totally infectious, just like enthusiasm. It sets the mood, it sets the tone, it brings the energy. So you transmit the right emotion. They feel it as motivation or inspiration. They follow you. I'm going to stop because you're going to ask me a question. I know you're going to ask me a question. No, no, no. I was actually getting better. No, I'm I'm, I'm catching up with you now. No, please continue. No, no, no. I want you to ask me a difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) No difficult question. I'm just, uh, I was just thinking a few things. Uh, You've made me think uh, more than any other session. I got to give you that right off the bat. Um, I've already tossed my outline uh, right off. I've closed my iPad um, and and I love it. And then this, no, no, don't apologize at all. This is uh, making me think uh, more than ever, because you're really nailing it uh, on, on so many different uh, aspects. And I hope my audience is, is taking notes, unlike me, because I have to actually think of what I'm going to say instead of being able to think things through that you're, uh, that you're telling me. Um, what I wanted to ask was for leaders that they know these questions that you just asked me, why do I follow? I think <laughs> if you ask 100 people, I hundred almost a hundred of them majority of them would provide the same answers as yeah, me that's right why is it then when, when they know why people follow someone that you, you have bosses now and managers and i and i refuse to call them leaders because they're not being a leader but they're you have these the, you have these bosses that think you know what i have this role i just hired this person and that's it. They have to follow me. That's it. When you know, when you know that 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 simple structure is not going to result in that person genuinely wanting to follow you, but that they just have to. But you're for some reason you're okay with that, and you think that's just a hierarchy. I you know I hired this person. They should be grateful, and and they should understand that I'm the boss and that right. I know it everything, and and that they should follow me. And it's crazy because they think that's very normal understanding. Yeah. But at the same time, that person will answer your question and say, Dr. Urbanga, of course, I would only follow someone that would exactly. inspire me. I would feel inclusive. <laughs> yeah. And Okay, so yeah. let's go back to splitting management from leadership because they have two mm-hmm. completely different roles. Okay, the management role used to be in the old world. You remember we're doing more of the same? Yeah. Yes. So if you do more mm-hmm. of the same and somebody's done it more than you, they are more experienced. Usually they have more power. So when they say do it this way, if you do it that way, everyone gets richer. Think right. about the old world. You're not doing that much innovation. Most of the business, 99% of what happens every year 
was the same as what happened last year. So when your boss says, can you fill that form in? Just fill it in because then the business will work. It will go to the right department and the business will make money. They'll get it from the customers. They'll pass it to you. You'll pocket it and you'll go out and have a meal. The smart play is to do what your boss says because, because your boss knows because yesterday and tomorrow are the same. Right. And the places where your boss doesn't know, that's the leadership, that will get pushed all the way to the top. And then the top person will be scanning the horizon, trying to figure it out and trying to work out how to get the rest of the organization to follow. But because of the top person, they've got this massive lever of power and the little bit of leadership takes them a long way because mm -hmm. they can spend the money, they can do everything else, okay? Right. That's the old world. Now the new world, now we're starting to do lots of new things. You still need the management because you're not inventing everything. You still need the process which makes sure that things don't go wrong. You know, if you're running a hospital, patients don't die because nobody bought the right uh, to a surgical equipment. You need all that. Mm -hmm. And then you need to find new and better ways of supporting your patients, which is the leadership piece. Right. And because they've mixed the words leadership and management, you look at your boss, if you're a millennial, and you go, you're not a leader. And they're not trying to lead you. They're trying to manage you. But right. where they need to lead you is when they say, this department has got to find a way of getting closer to the customer. You know, we've all seen it. In fact, you told me that the customers were complaining. You told me that yesterday. In fact, you said X, Y, Z. Why does this happen over and over again? Is your data question, Bill? Did you see me do that? Okay. And then you go, it's because of this. And somebody says, it's because of that. And we build a solution together. Leadership. You got it. So it's, it's the perception that you're assuming that the boss is always in leadership mode. But bosses, if they're managers, might be able to be in leadership mode like 2% of the time or 50% of the time. And so that frustrates the hell out of you because they've mixed the words together and you're expecting leadership and they're doing management. And that's their responsibility though, right? I mean, the, the way I see it is if, if, if they have a solid foundation of leadership and, and they've put in the time to lead, and then they, and then from there, I, I, I just feel, and this is just my perception of it, is if they create that foundation of leadership, then they're able to distinguish the times when they're managing. And I can only speak on my experience. No, because... you're 100% right. Okay. But just remember, I've just teased apart those two words. My mm -hmm. guess is they haven't got a clue. No Sometimes they've done leadership and they've got it in the right situation and it's worked. Sometimes they've done the management, people are only pissed off and quit. And it's all jumbled up together because everyone acts as if it's the same thing. Everything, one acts as if leadership is the right solution for every single situation. Leadership is about moving into new areas, into unknown areas, into bringing people together, to giving them the energy to do that. Management is about making sure the processes work and the business as usual work, et cetera. They're not the same thing. Management but, is finite. Leadership is infinite. Yes. You can lead anyone, but you can only manage people who you formally have power over. Yeah. And that's yeah, a big that's... distinction. You know, so you could be quite junior and be the leader of your whole organization. And somebody could be quite senior and not be leading anyone, but being the most powerful manager.
You know, it's funny. The most profitable organization I've ever worked for has also been the most atrocious leadership I've, I've ever experienced. There you go. It's they funny. Were doing, I bet they were doing more of the same. They were getting growth on yeah. growth on growth from doing more and more of the same. And any ideas you came up with, they weren't interested because they knew if they Zero. did more the same, they'd get more money. And so anyone who yeah. went with that got their bonuses and we were all happy. You want to come and break it with some untried thing? Are you nuts? So there was no need for leadership. <laughs> and yeah. they were making money hand over fist. But if a disruptor came into their market, aha, now they'd need the leadership. Because tomorrow comes. And then it's too late by then. And then they, by then it's too late. By then it's too late. By then the managers don't know how to lead because they have never done it. They might be 50, but they've only done in total 20 hours of leadership ever, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, by then they get, and then they'll hire the consultants who's mix it all up and say, well, just leaders come and change all the job titles from manager to leader, confuse them. I'm just being horrible to consultants. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, so that's important, but emotion is crucial, but also the leader, um, you'd, have, you'd have had this, you'd have seen situations where you're watching, I don't know, something on, on, on your phone, somebody's talking and they're saying, uh, I don't know, making a breath. This is the most exciting opportunity. I mean, see people doing that sort of thing where their behavior doesn't match. The behavior is just wrong. Mm -hmm. So when you're following somebody, you closely watch their behavior. You know, what are they doing with their body? How are they acting? You know, this, what are, you know they said that um, they're saying something but doesn't feel right. Behavior becomes as important as emotion for the followers. And you know that from watching people playing sport. Okay. Right. The third one is the actions they decide to do. So if you have somebody you're following and they're going, it's really, really important to make sure you listen to everyone. And you say, I've got a question. It's really important you listen to everyone. If their, if their actions don't match what they're supposed to be portraying as a leader, you stop following them. So the actions are also a thing which transmits into whether you're going to be motivated, blah, 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 et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing. And the final thing is how they express themselves, their thought process, how they communicate it, how it, how it flows, the story, the logic behind it. And that's what you as a leader get to, to put out to people. And if you get it right, then people want to follow you. They feel the warmth, the inclusion, the motivation, everything else, thumbs up. Right. And I think that there's a misconception also of why someone wants to follow you. A leader thinks, or I don't want to call him a leader, a manager, manager. thinks... This 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 employee is following me because I get everything right, and I, I know the 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 answer every time. There's not one thing I don't know, and I know how to whatever the job function is Correct. inserted in there. But it's such a misconception, right? Because that that's not why they're they don't they're not following you because they they Correct. think you're the superhuman. Yeah. They want they follow you if they do is because simple things, and this surprises yeah. people all the time when I tell them, oh, this is crazy. You respect them. Wow. Oh, this person is kind to me. Here's yes. a crazy one. This person trusts me. Yeah. This person cares about me. It's such the simple things that the, yeah. these managers lack. And then they're trying to figure out this massive uh, uh, theory and plan to how do we get a, 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 a better uh, cohesiveness, a better yeah, yeah. team running around when this no. never because right, they're, they're so, avoiding the simple things. So go back to old and new world because this is really important. Okay, the old world, the behaviors you're seeing were good behaviors because if you were really experienced, people would follow you for your experience, right? And that's like two, three decades ago. 
You with me? Because the world is changing slower than uh, our ability to learn. If you've done mm -hmm. it 10 times, I knew the smart play was to do what you said. Mm -hmm. So I would follow you. But the world has moved on. And they're still doing the old behaviors. Yeah. You got it. So so it's not that it's, <laughs> they don't mean to be completely dumb and crazy. It's just yeah. they're doing what used to be brilliant, but is now totally inappropriate. Yeah. And then if I had to guess as far as why that transition to them being able to understand that that no longer works, it, does it have to do with personal like power ideologies and, and psychologies of Some, egos is that sometimes have to do sometimes but human beings are very very weird i've told you this already they're you're multiple yeah. processing units and also you yeah. have this thing which says you're worth it okay that yeah. thing let's pretend it's called the ego it's not really but that thing basically it has to keep telling you what a wonderful person you are so that you put the effort in to run away from the tiger Mm -hmm. Okay, now this this means you have two subroutines of software in the back of your neck. You're going along going, I'm a great manager, I'm a great leader, people do what I want, okay? Then the world shifts. And so somebody says, actually, you're not that great a leader. In fact, you're, you're really upsetting all the people around you. Two ways you can take this. One is you can go, am I really? Okay, that's not going to happen because your ego is primed to not hear that bad news because that bad news might mean you're not worth it i.e you won't keep running from the tiger and guess what survival will have failed you'll be dead and you get no more future so your mm -hmm. ego is actually designed it's this thing called cognitive dissonance you might have come across mm -hmm. it it yep. rewrites a little story to insert between what the person said and reality so that you can continue to think you're marvelous. <laughs> yeah. Sounds crazy. You're freaking me out. Yeah, but it does. Because... Everyone has it. So this is how. Think about any... It happens a lot in politics. It's really good. You can have a political person make, uh, um, making a speech, and one lot will say, they're trying to kill everyone. And the other will say, isn't that just marvelous? Because they've got their original positions. So when they get additional information, what they actually absorb is not what happened, but what needs to fit their own personal worldview. That's why we had to invent science, because human beings are rubbish at getting bad news or different news. And we're even worse than that, because if you see a piece of news and there are bits which you don't, don't fit your story, and there are bits which do fit your story, you just select the ones which fit your story. That's called confirmation bias. Right. So the managers who were successful in the old world or when they were young and junior, their bosses, bosses, boss said, make sure you always know the best about this particular country because we're going to rely on you and you'll be able to tell me what to do. And they heard this when they were 23. They've done it for 40 years. You come along, this program is still in their brains. They know they've been successful. They've got a big house or whatever it is. You say, well, when you're not really inspiring me. You've not been kind to me. You don't care about me. They go, you must be the idiot. Of course they do. Because otherwise, guess what? They're the idiot. And they're yep. programmed through millions of years of evolution not to be the idiot. Because the people, the ancestors who felt they were idiots, guess what happened to them? They died. They died. They're not here. 
see the problem <laughs> yeah no I, I, I the thing is you're scaring me because i see the problem and the more you the more i see the problem the less i see a solution because it's oh, so it embedded <laughs> it's crazy because what I mean, if you understand the design of human beings which i'm trying to do mm -hmm. really fast there are loads of yeah. books which go on and on about you know, human right. beings and thinking slow and engagement but it's very simple third log change they'll create change if you let them do it they'll constrain it otherwise okay um, and 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 now you've understood. They'll either absorb it if it's good, or they'll batter away if it's bad. They do that all the time. Okay. So this this is the way human beings are designed. In terms of leadership, we've now understood the leader transmits something, and you are looking for something else as a follower. We understood that as well. Right. We've understood that in the old world, management reigns supreme. The leader was at the top. New world, management. Yeah, for some stuff, but leadership because we're changing everything. And, and we've understood that. And the leadership comes from the front, not the top. You know, and we've begun to understand how can the leader drive innovation by not bringing the solution, but by packaging the challenge in IDQB and letting everyone else build the solution. We, we got all that. So it's not hard. It's just conceptually different, di different because right. I'm being really slow because I know if I go too fast, I will trigger cognitive <laughs> dissonance in you. <laughs> And that's why, that's why I'm going so steadily with a story, then an example, then a, did you see this? And I'm not just saying, actually, it's, it's all just nonsense, and this is why. Because you just go, right. that Eddie, he's an idiot. <laughs> no, it's, it goes back to our, where we started off when I said, you know, I think if you ask me after this and someone asks me, you know, what makes a good leader and, and what's the issue? And I'll tell them about the biology of the cognitive dissonance and why X, Y, and Z happens. But again, just like when we were talking about change, it's easy to talk about it. I can talk about it and I can tell you that I'm aware of what the issue is. But then I go into the office and someone comes up and says, Artie, you know, your idea, we, we as a team, you know, don't believe it's right. And next thing you know, I'm telling them, you know, creating an argument of why my ugly idea is baby. good. My and, ugly baby's ugly nice. baby, yeah. No, your baby's ugly, my baby's pretty, and, and we're falling into it again. Correct. So I guess I've just been, throughout this whole conversation, I've just been thinking in the back of my mind is, you know, going against millions of years of evolution and, yeah. and that survival instincts, uh, it's a challenge. And That's it's, right. Um, That's why I invented yeah. this issue data question building, because mm -hmm. it, it gets around it. Because you present the issue, and when you present the new, the situation, the issue, you must do it in a way which people recognize with no new information. You know, we were talking about this last week. You said to me X, Y, Z, or we all know X, Y, Z. So now they're primed. You frame them that this is something coming. It's not disabled, you tiger. We're all on the same page. Then you say to them, look at this fact over here, this piece of data. The more concrete you are, the better. So you might say, you wouldn't say the report had errors. You'd say, when I went to page 12, it said three when it should say six. And if you were reporting something verbatim, you wouldn't say, the customer was really unhappy. You say, ha, huh, you won't believe it. The customer said to me, I've never been so unhappy on a Thursday, verbatim. Then the person gets that data. And then once they've got the data, you go into, so what do you think we should do about it? How would we solve this? And you tend to use you and me, not we. Because if you say we, they think you've got a secret solution up your sleeve. Yeah. Right. So if you say, what do you want me to do about it? Or what are you going to do about it? Then they go, well, what, what, like I've been doing to you. Well, what, Artie, what do you think? And you go, I'm not sure. And you go quiet. And you <laughs> shut up as well. And then they come up with it. 
and they, then you build a solution together. So that's the way you weave around um, evolution. And when you watch really effective leaders, they'll do a fair amount of that. Um, there are other models which work quite well. So there is, for example, the one which Walt Disney and I think Steve Jobs used, which was dreamer critic realist, which is when you, whenever you went near them or whenever they were near you, they would be very inspirational. They'd give you their dreams. They'd ask you for your dreams. They'd send you off excited to do something. Next time you met them, they go, but that won't work. How do you expect that to? And they'd be as horrible as possible to try and break through that cognitive dissonance piece, make sure there's no confirmation bias, which will make you look at your dream and be really miserable. And then you'd go, I'll show them. And then you would create something which was actually more like reality. So that dreamer critic realist type of model, um, some very famous, very successful uh, leaders have used that. I tend not to go for that because um, I'm always nervous about the critic bit. Because I, I didn't like it when it happens to me, um, but 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 so I came up with IDQB instead, which allows people not to have to go through the pain, but makes them come up with something which is useful and a good solution. Because I've given them the data they need. Otherwise, they come up with really silly ideas if you don't give them the data. So, for example, you, you say um, I had one this one once when I was working with a, a tech company with a fantastic brand name, and we said, well, we've got to find areas of growth. And the boss said, we've got to find areas of growth. What should we do? And then somebody in the audience said, well, our brand is very big. And as you know, people like fashion things. Why don't we start making shoes? You see, you're laughing, but it's not funny. And it's because he'd gone, give me ideas. And so they give him an idea. Now he has a problem as a leader. Do you know what the problem is? No. How the hell does he tell this guy in front of all the rest of the audience, that's a really dumb idea? You laugh. How do you? Yeah, well, now, yeah. He's, now he's got a problem. So he'll never yeah. ask for an idea again. Because if you yeah. ask for an idea, they give him silly questions. If he'd said, as a tech company, we've got we've got some real challenges. As you all know, you've seen it in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. What we have at the moment is we have 40 billion of capital invested in our new factories. So we're going to have to use that because we have no more cash. Our customers are declining in number because they're all getting older. And also, we have to find a way of integrating what we do with the other new platforms. What do you think we should do? Issue there's a question. Did one come up with, let's make some sports shoes? Right, right. You got it. So then yeah, the leader no, can then on. reward them for their mm-hmm. great in- contribution, which means they feel happy to follow the leader. The contribution was great. The leader is in a good position of not having to give somebody who's just started following them a kicking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that way you weave right. your way. I think UV is my probably yeah. one of my best um, best inventions. Um, I, I use it myself. I've taught it to mm-hmm. I don't know tens of thousands of people. Um, but yeah, it's so new to me, and and that's why. And, and apologies, I'm slow, and and my listeners are probably no, thinking no, 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 I'm no. I'm half buzzed on this on this podcast no, session because I sound I, so confused. I will warn you about IDQB issue date question mm-hmm. build because you bring the issue and it's something everyone knows, <laughs> and then you right. provide the data and the data is concrete, so no big deal. You don't get any award for that. And then you ask the question and everybody comes up with the the baby in their head. They literally think they did the whole thing themselves. <laughs> you will get no credit for any of it. So if you imagine 
that somehow as a leader, you're going to get credits for all these things. No, 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 no. The more effective you are at driving change and helping rapid innovation, the less likely you are to get credit for things in people's minds. But people will notice that when you're around, good things happen. And that's so the leadership they'll try and to me. keep you around. You're not looking for the credit. Yeah. <laughs> and would you say that IDQB is is the premise of, of your organization, Pentacle? No, Pentacle is more based on the old versus new world model. So mm -hmm. once I came up with that model and I realized how broken everything was, uh, I then spent seven years, as I said, looking for what do you fix? So IDQB was one to help with change. Um, but then I rewrote, basically, I took an MBA syllabus and I said, if you were writing it for a, a new world, a world after midnight, what would mm -hmm. it look like? And I just literally went through and I went, okay, you're doing planning. How does planning work if the world changes faster than you can learn? Well, you can't do it that way. You're doing uh, team engagement. How would team engagement work? You're doing bonuses. How would bonuses work? You know, how do you do a bonus when the world's changing faster than you can learn? You set the bonus a year in advance and then the world changes and then you pay people out on the old bonus. So that means for six months of the year, everything they're doing is pointless. <laughs> So how do you do it in a fast-changing world? So, so that's what I spent my So that's what went into Pentacle. So Pentacle being a business school, I put all those elements and all those things into my books. I've got about 10 of them. And into the tools like IDQB, the pets, that's what we call them. And that's what Pentacle teaches. I have a number of uh, tutors and associates and so on. Um, but then we went on and went, okay, how do we socialize and embed this? And the only way to embed it is to use something which is more digital. Why? Because... That allows you to work with the individual, but then bring all their colleagues in without incurring stupid costs. So uh, about five years into Pentacle, we invented something called Cube. Uh, so Cube is, hmm, the best way to describe it is, um, if people, yeah, you're, the, you're gen the generation listening, they'll know. It's virtual reality, okay? So it's mm -hmm. like a FIFA football game, multiple player, yeah, multi-user multi dungeon type thing. Okay, lots of them. Okay. But it's work. But what we've done is we made it what we call super real. Because normally with virtual reality, you're trying to represent real life. So all the avatars have to look cute and the buildings have to, and the shadows have to. We're not interested in any of that. We're interested in a real emotional feeling. So for example, the quality of sound and the three-dimensional precision of the sound on cube is more important than anything else. Because if you're with five people, you literally feel you're there. When they laugh, you, your heart beats faster. That's what's important, not what it looks like. But we've also taken all the new behaviors we'd expect from a leader, and we've made them part of the culture. So if you arrive on cue for a session, whoever's running the session will, for example, run something called hopes and fears. They'll say, we've all got together, we've given up our time. Everyone, can you write a sticky with what your biggest hope is, which would make it useful to you, and what your biggest fear is, if that fear happened, it would be so bad you wish you'd gone to the dentist instead. Mm -hmm. So whoever's running the session goes from being manager to leader because now they're inviting inputs. Yeah. Everybody writes. Like that. Everybody writes, which means now you flatten the organization because it's not just the boss's thing. You, everyone's written the stickies. Then they can read the stickies. And then you solve the things which you think could go wrong together by what we call spinning. Spinning is running through the list of names and everyone gets a chance to talk. So what do you think we can do about the fact that you're worried it might overrun? 
we should talk faster. Great, and they capture that. We all agree, yes. So by doing that, you bring everyone in. The, leaders, the leader basically makes sure the followers have got plenty of power, but they're included. They feel energized and motivated. They don't have to go on mute like a conference call. In fact, they want to talk, they want to laugh. So what we did with this super reality idea is we've embedded all the behaviors for leadership we think should be in the world after midnight, all the activities we think should be in the world after midnight, all the tools and methods like IDQB, which they're all on cube in your campus. And so that's what we built and that's what we've been working and teaching for about the past 10 years. God, my last organization could have used the cube so badly. I, the inclusion makes such a big difference. Yeah, and it's, it, oh, it's and what frustrating. happens is, what's funny is people come in, obviously as an avatar, we call them cubots. They're square headed and square body, very simple. Um, I'll tell you about why in the future later on. But, but people come in and for example, they learn how to spin cast, how to make sure everybody has a voice. And then they start doing that on their conference calls when they're away from cube. So all of a sudden, the behaviors they practiced on Cube, the feelings they had, the emotions they got, the actions they took on Cube as avatars in this campus, whether it's in their offices or the cafe or meeting people and for doing workshops or whatever it is, they transfer them back to real life. So it socially embeds in the organization. And that's been quite interesting to watch as well. Yeah, no, it's, um, I remember one of the biggest issues I had in my, in my last job is they would, uh, my boss would come and tell us, we're making this change and please let me know. This is famous. It's embedded in my head, I swear. Please let me know if you have any questions. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this, and in the beginning, I, I took it as, okay, I'm not too offended. I'll, I have questions. Hey, sir, you know, I, I don't think X, Y, and Z is going to work with this. Well, you know, they will spend the next day or two basically arguing Telling every point. Telling you why you're wrong, yeah. Why we're not changing a thing. Yeah, and I went above him one time and, and I went to the CEO and I said, listen, th this, is a, this is a game. Because every time something changes, he says, or let, let me know if you have any questions or concerns, but it doesn't really matter. He just defends it. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, he's, he's giving you the floor to do it. I'm like, no, he's no, not. He's not. It's, <laughs> it's fake. I'm like, all he has to do is... Yeah before while he's looking at the problem yes. all he has to do is send an email at that point and Correct. say hey what do you guys think Correct. and you and here's the best part you don't have to listen to me i'm not saying i have the answer but if you had just asked that question yes me just being able to say and you might have reached the same conclusion but it would the perception of it and me just feeling included would have just would have satisfied me enough sure. to at least think you know what I got a chance to get my take and hey, you know, it didn't work out this time. So, so let me just tell you what happened to you. You know, I was saying earlier that the world has gone from the old world to the world after midnight and nobody noticed mm -hmm. like in the TED talk. That's what happened to you. You didn't realize the world had changed. So, so you're living in the new world because you're from that generation. You don't mm -hmm. know about the old world. So you actually, you actually don't know what their reality looks like. So to your boss, the one who kept coming and asking for advice, before, maybe five years before, he would just have said, this is what we're going to do because he's the manager. And his boss would have said, great, great decisiveness, well done, get it done. And the people he was working with, this his staff, the people who worked for him, would just have done what he said. Then the world shifted and all of a sudden he heard this, oh, you need to engage with your people. But of course, he still thinks he's in the old world. So he reads a few books and the books say things like, ask yourself, do they have any questions? So, so, so he comes and asks you, 
but he doesn't understand it's a different world. And you don't know he's coming from the old world. So you look at him and go, if you really wanted to do it, you'd have brought the problem, not the solution. <laughs> and we both see it as that, yeah. Correct. Just... And so both of you, remember my point about how hard it is for human beings to see reality? Both yes. of you were reacting on what you thought reality was, mm -hmm. and you were reacting to two different things, and the reality was that <laughs> the world's moved. The world's moved. Yeah. What your expectations are is from one world, his expectations and experience and beliefs are from another world, and you weren't seeing each other. And the more you questioned him and went to his boss, the more upset he got, because he had to accept he was an idiot, and he's never going to accept that, because we're programmed not to. <laughs> yeah, we're programmed. I was going to say, yeah. I'm learning, doctor, I'm learning. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, is there anywhere else you'd like me to go? Because otherwise your listeners will lose all of their day with me wittering on. <laughs> Oh, I'm 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 enjoying this so much that my day job right now is on the back end. The emails are I keep hearing a little mini uh, ding ding ding, and I, I could care less. It's up to you. Uh, if you have anything else that you think is going to add context to this old world, new world, and and I think it's um, you know I think it's more important than ever. Everything you're saying, especially right now, about that leadership journey getting started right away, or I think even my generation, you know, they're working at a corporation and they get put in that manager role. And they're still in that old world mentality yeah. because that corporation has been around for 40 years. I'm scared. What I fear is people around my age are going to fall into the same trap. I become a manager at a large tech organization. I have my director on my ass about numbers and quotas and whatnot. Right. And I haven't started my leadership journey. I bought my first, you know, Brene Brown Dare to Lead book right when I got uh, that promotion. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, I'm falling in the same trap. So I guess my yeah, fear yeah. is... Yeah, that that. How can we discontinue this, and and how can we make sure that if we get that uh, people to become leaders before they become managers, so they can distinguish it? Yeah, just exactly. forget about all the other advancements. Just can you distinguish it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly. If they can distinguish it, that's a big, big, big plus. Then they they can start to influence in the organization. I mean, organizations are made up of people. People have this cognitive bias. It's taken them forever to realize the world really has changed. They learn all the words but they don't really put them into action. I was, a phone call I had before this, I was talking to somebody and I said they'd, they'd hired some consultant rather than to help them with digital transformation. I said, did you check that the consultant you've hired actually have digitally transformed their own business? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, he laughed. And I said, well, yeah. if they haven't, you're just going to learn a whole lot of new words. Because exactly. they have no idea what they're talking to you about. Um, and so one of the things that I've done, because I, I, I always want to live in the future, I want to try out things, I want to innovate, and so on. I tend to try to live what I'm trying going to go and teach. I, I know this thing where if you're really comfortable, you're probably not in a, a, a the, the front edge. You're not really in the leadership situation. So that feeling of discomfort is really important. Um, most old world managers try to avoid that discomfort of not knowing what the hell's going on. If you're not getting that discomfort, you're not really in a leadership position. If you're not feeling slightly lonely, that you can't say everything to everyone, you're not in a leadership position. Um, and when you're leading, you have to be really uh, aware of the fact of the people around you. So there's two things you'll have to do. One is you'll have to lead inside your organization up to the senior people who have to move to a different way of working. They... Um, 
are going to be human, therefore they're going to block, block it. And even if you do maybe manage to use things like issue data question build, they'll still be scared to move. Fear will still be an, an issue. Now, there's, there's some advice you get in leadership books, which I think, me, just me, the rest of the world thinks differently, is completely back to front. They'll tell you to be energetic, to be authentic, to show your passion, uh, to encourage people and stuff like that. I find when I'm really trying to get people to do stuff, which is really at the front edge, that's not the best strategy. I live in the UK. In the UK, we have these things called charity parachute jumps. Basically, you get into a plane which works, fly up several tens of thousands of uh, into the air, jump out with the parachute, and if you land and you're not dead, then all your friends give money to charity. I mean, obviously, you're not going to die. I'm just joking. But but it's it's about, you know, doing something, raising my pressure. Okay, so imagine I persuaded you, Hardik, uh, that we're going up in this plane. We're going 1,000 feet down. And then just as we're about to get to the, the top, I say, Hardik, we're going to do something new. <clears throat> you're going to jump your first time. You're sitting there. How are you feeling, by the way, at this stage? You're just about to do your first parachute jump. <laughs> I'm terrified, petrified. Good, good, good. Okay, but I'm an enthusiastic, authentic leader. I say, I'm not scared because I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go because I know the money we're raising. You know, I'm a bit scared, but you know, uh, we can do it. If our friends and family knew how much we cared, they'd double the money they were giving to us, but they'll sell their houses and give them to this charity. Okay? In fact, let's prove how much we care. I'll tell you what, follow me. Leave your parachutes behind and jump. Leave. What do you think? It's not going to affect me, no. what I'm thinking at all. No, because when you lead other people through uncertainty, they're scared. So is it safer for them, for you to help us, their level of fear go down, or for you to be the big I am, trying to energize them to do something which is terrifying? So are you saying that the energy and the, the, the way they express energy themselves Energy stuff is, is interesting, but the first thing you have to it's do irrelevant. is find out what's scaring them and see mm. if they can help you to take it away. Okay. Because all the time the things are scaring them, the energy has no impact. But the moment you've taken away what's scaring them, then the energy, the enthusiasm has an impact. Right addressing the actual issue yes get rid of their fears first and so as a leader if you if things like issue data question build i have other tools which i use there's one called fix it now help you figure out how to take away people's fear so they can participate fully so that your energy and enthusiasm will transmit but all the time they're nervous and scared and you'll have to do that especially with the senior people because they have 30 or 40 years of experience and they're terrified of losing that. Right. So if you're yeah. going to go into that role, don't forget you're going to have to lead up as well as forward, as well as back. When you meet somebody senior, you're going to have to try to figure out what they're worried about. They might look stupid. Then put in a solution which makes they might make sure they won't look stupid. The fear is gone. Now bring your enthusiasm. Turn that one up. Then issue data question build. Let them come up with it. Then they love it. Now we're moving forward. That's the way you're going to do it. Everything else I think will be very hard. I had someone the other day ask me, Artie, you know, don't you think there's a lot of talk about leadership? Don't you think there's just so much already content and everything on leadership? And I stopped. I was like, you know what? No, I don't think so, because we still have so many <laughs> shitty bosses out there and yeah, we have exactly. so many bad managers that, quite frankly, <laughs> I don't think we're talking about it enough because the complexity of it, which you have painted in the last hour, yeah. is you are battling 
millions of years of evolution. Yeah. And that's why leadership is as complex yet simple, like complex yeah. front, backwards, sideways, Correct. as you've explained. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, uh, Dr. Ryan, that's a perfect point uh, for us to stop at it. And this has been um, beyond educational. Uh, this has been so uh, uh, interesting to me. And, and I'm, it's made me think in so many different ways. And unfortunately, I was doing majority of my thinking while recording the session. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing, ultimately. Um, before we log off here, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about Pentacle and what you're doing with that business school, how would they be able to do that? Yeah, so the best way to uh, just connect with me, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Eddie Obeng. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find there. So just connect with me. And if you say how we've met, i.e. You, you listen to the podcast, everything goes very smoothly. Um, once you've done that, the next thing is um, I run a number of open sessions on Cube, public sessions where people can come. I run I know, several of them, three or four of them a year. So come and hang out. We'll have a cup of coffee. You'll be there as a square avatar. Me too. We can chat and and so on. So that's that's uh, the best way of getting to, to it. I, I, and, and also when I do the sessions on Cube, you'll meet other people who are already in the new world and you can quiz them and talk to them about what they do. I mean, we've got uh, thousands and thousands of, of uh, people on Cube from different organizations and they all, uh, they all often come to these different events. So from public sector, private sector, and the, the open events are the only time we let them cross campuses. Otherwise, each organization is locked into its campuses, mm -hmm. so they can't see each other. So it's quite a nice thing. So cube is qube.cc. And uh, uh, if you want more about me personally, I'm eddieobain.com. But just connect with me on, um, on uh, LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Dr. Bang, uh, when I make my way across the pond, I usually do when things are back to normal for Arsenal matches. Um, <laughs> I will contact you. I owe you a beer. Uh, or coffee, coffee or tea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> several beers, several beers. You got it's it. Gonna be hey, a thank long you. Night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it so much for your time. Thank you again. Good luck, and, good and, luck uh, to everyone with their leadership. It's really important in our new world. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I needed was persistence. Opportunity come one time, so don't miss it. I listen.